This is The Guardian. Hello and welcome to The Guardian Football Weekly. We don't want to do this podcast. The players almost certainly don't want to play. No one wants to play these games. Just toss a coin or something and be done with it. The inspirational words of Barry Glendening way back on the 14th of June, 2023 i.e. yesterday. Try telling that to those indefatigable Croatians. Luka Modric still standing, scoring in the 116th minute against the Dutch to reach the final of the Nations League. And then we're on to England. Jude Bellingham signs for Real. We'll look forward to that. Jack Grealish is sober enough to train. If you'd forgotten, I had Scotland atop of their group as all the home nations are in action over the weekend. Paul Watson's here for Mongolia versus Vanuatu, amongst others. What a day for the fixture computer. The Premier League games are out as we record. We'll react live. All that, plus your questions and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Barry Glendening, welcome. Hello. Hello, Mark Langdon. Hi, Max. And hello, Paul Watson. Hello. Uh, Jack says, how was that little break? Yes, a well-earned break as the season ended yesterday. And here we are. More, more of a <laughs> mini retirement, Max. <laughs> <laughs> You're absolutely right. It was an 18-hour mini-retirement. Uh, Michael says, given the relentless schedule over the last three years, is anyone worried that the Football Weekly family might run out of questions to ask? And we very much hope not. Um, before we do England and Jude Bellingham, it is the Nations League semi-finals. I confess I'd completely forgotten that, that this was happening. Um, but I woke up to a flurry of tweets about Luka Modric not being tired, <laughs> obviously, as uh, Croatia... Uh, 1-4-2 in the Netherlands. And the only highlights I could see were were, were sped up on Viaplay. I think it was just a problem with my computer. It sounded like Jim Proudfoot was on helium. It was absolutely <laughs> tremendous. And and like Perisic was running faster than he had all season because it was just whizzing around. Anyway, it, it was a great game, Mark. It, it was, yeah. And I, I suppose one of the reasons maybe is that the Nations League isn't kind of, well, it's not as important as World Cup or European Championship. And, we saw, like in last week's Champions League final, the occasion can mean actually that the game isn't um, as as brilliant um, sometimes as you'd like. And I think the fact that there's less pressure um, on the players and the managers actually can lend itself, um, you know, to just a better. I was going to say ninety minutes, but this was one hundred and twenty um, minutes. Uh, Croatia fully deserved. The win um, and you know just continue their remarkable record, really. Um, you know, for a country of that size to continually um, outperform, uh, you know, with this golden generation. It was a very attack-minded team, as you say, with uh, Perisic playing left back, uh, Juranovic of um, you know on the right hand side as well, likes to get forward. So I mean, it was definitely um, I, I think a victory for uh, Croatia's just th- their will to win um, as much as anything else. And from the Netherlands' point of view. Like the the drop off from Lou Van Gaal to Ronald Koeman is enormous. Sad for Ronald, isn't it? Uh, you know, he, he looked quite happy when they equalised in the last minute. Brian says, "Have Croatia been naming the same starting eleven for the last twenty years?" <laughs> <laughs> it feels like it, doesn't it? Um, I, I mean, I, I don't know, Paul, if you caught this game. I actually only watched the highlights, but what really came through was just how much better Croatia were. To be honest, I mean, before the Netherlands got that like last, last gasp equaliser. 2-1 was a fair reflection, but, you know, Croatia just had chance after chance. And in extra time, that kind of got even more marked, really. Rather than getting tired, they were actually felt like they could have played another 
20 or 30 minutes on top. They they had the ball in the net again. Like it was, they really did just ease through after that. And um, yeah, Ronald Koeman's having a bit of a miserable return. I, I always think he, he looks like a bit of a miserable appointment anywhere, Koeman, with the greatest respect to him. He's, he's not a person who excites you when he comes in. And he came in with the Netherlands, a lot of quite negative press conferences and then loses 4-0 to France. And now they've lost this. And yeah, I, I think to be honest, Croatia, very deserving of the win and uh, it was a real gulf between them really in my opinion quite heartening from a, a republic of ireland perspective because they're obviously in our qualifying group so uh a netherlands under cumin with a huge drop off from louis van gaal is exactly what the doctor ordered i think they'll play the winners of italy and spain who played tonight we'll of course cover that on on monday the final on sunday is it mark it is yeah and, and the um the third fourth playoff I know you'd, you'd be desperate to watch. Well, the third, fourth player of the nations. I wonder, actually, if you know you sort of said there is less pressure on this. I was thinking when I was watching this, you know, uh, <laughs> Jim Proudfoot. He works every day, as far as I can tell, <laughs> Jim Proudfoot. Um, I was thinking, you're right. You're so right about the, you know, the pressure being off this game. Do you think in a, do we just have to wait 100 years and the Nations League will have the pressure of the World Cup? Or can it never, or, or like, will it, will it, will its importance increase? Or is there just no space for it? I I don't see it um, growing to the levels of the European Championship and the World Cup. I I think that if anything, you know, the general kind of football fan, their interest in international football is probably and and it's not the same everywhere. But I would say for for the major nations, um, that it is kind of less important, obviously. And so to have a third competition. Um, you know, it just makes it very difficult um, to to force that upon people. And you know, maybe in in twenty, thirty years, if there's this illustrious list of names, um, you know, th- th- then you might want to to win it. But I think it's very difficult to establish um, a, a competition um, like this. And they keep changing the rules as well um, in in the UEFA one we've had. Um, you know, it, it's quite difficult, I think, for anybody to just keep up with, you know, what the format is. And that doesn't help. Um, I know, obviously, European Championship and World Cup have increased in numbers, but the the, the, the general premise is, is the same. And, um, you know, you've had releg- teams that have been relegated, but then they've not been relegated because they've, they've changed the rules on how many teams they want in the top tier. That um, I don't think is going to help um, grow it, I would say. Just think an awful lot of people, in, and, and I mean football fans, just don't know what it is still. <laughs> just haven't a clue. And I understand how it works. And I'm very much in my local pub. I'm in a minority of one, I think. And I've had to explain to people what it is. And it's really difficult to explain to people what it is. And you, you literally see them, like, their eyes glaze over. About How many times in your local pub has it got to tell me how the Nations League works, Barry? Like, like all the conversations to get through before that is the one. Unless you sit in a chair with Nations League Oracle above my head. Come to me for all Nations League-based queer. Who's that? Oh, that's Barry. He knows like about the Nations point. League. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. I love that. Love every, that. Every, everyone has one particular field of expertise. <laughs> in in my local, there's a lot of tradesmen, you know. So if you mm. want to, if you have a plumbing issue or electrical issue or carpentry issue, where you need a wall laid, blocks laid for a wall, there's someone who can help you. I'm obviously utterly unskilled at anything, so that's my niche. I I can explain <laughs> the Nations League. <laughs> 
So say if if I need a new window put in, I'll get Troy to come and do that, and in return, rather than pay him money, I'll explain <laughs> the Nations League to him. It's 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 like a barter system. Do you have like an emergency Nations League service? Like can people like a plumber? Can you be called in for like emergency? So people are like, what the hell's going on? Why are why are the Netherlands playing? Tonight? Yeah. Uh, yes, but it costs an awful lot of money. Like. Twenty four out call out. Twenty four out call out for a uh, uh, emergency nations league explainer um and what's great is we've talked about that but we haven't actually explained it so that's really useful people might actually come to this if you want to know what it is go to barry's local look for the man in the armchair the bespectacled man in the armchair well let's talk about england they go to malta uh, which is a lovely spot isn't it for a holiday a nice trip to valletta jude bellingham not going to be there uh, he's pulled out uh, as have a couple of others um but he has joined real madrid so on balance, still quite a good week for him. Uh, uh, 88.5 million pounds, uh, 103 million euros, six-year deal. Thank you to everyone at Borussia Dortmund and to the fans for everything over the past three years. He said, even though I look forward to my next destination, I will never forget the journey there. Once a Borussia, always a Borussia, all the best for the future. Um, Mark, we knew it was going to happen. It's tantalising, isn't it? And also really, um, okay, let's start with him and how he fits into Real Madrid before you start thinking who else they might add to make this team look really quite exciting. Yeah, obviously, you know, at some stage, they do need to freshen up that, that midfield. They keep on um, you know, buying the players to do it. Camavinga, Tuameni, now um, Jude Bellingham. They had Odegaard um, as well and couldn't find uh, you know, a space for him uh, because Modric, Crows um, were doing so well. I think that game against Manchester City um, might have just been, you know, uh, if Ancelotti needed one last push that needed to change, that might have been the game uh, that did it. I, I can see him going there and being a huge success. Um, he has just grown not only as a player, but also as a leader for Borussia Dortmund, somebody that carried their fight, um, you know, for well, it was unsuccessful in the end. And maybe his late season injury was just one of those things that they couldn't uh, overcome because, um, like I say, it's not just the brilliance that he provides on the pitch, but he, for somebody so young, for the rest of the players to start looking to him and him being kind of this figurehead almost for, for the Borussia Dortmund team is it's quite rare and it's very difficult, I'd imagine, for you know a non-German player at that age to be able to, or you know, in in a foreign country to be able to do that. Um, I, I think is quite remarkable, just as a character. Um, you know, never mind. Um, just how good he is as a footballer. Um, yeah, would have no doubts about his ability to play for Real Madrid. I think he's somebody that um, will sort of like to get forward and play, in a, I suppose, um, whether it's like as an attacking eight, really, rather than a, a ten. But he's just, he's made for the modern game. His technical ability is fantastic. He's got a, a brilliant engine. Um, doesn't look like he's got too many weaknesses. And... Um, I was just a bit surprised that a Man City was supposed to be in for him. I was a bit surprised he didn't um, want to go to Manchester City. And not, you know, Real Madrid obviously is a great attraction. Maybe it's the fact that you know if Pep Guardiola leaves in two years. You, you do wonder just kind of what that would mean for the dynamics of City. And maybe he just feels like you know that there'll be other opportunities maybe to come back to England uh, another time. But I'm really excited to see him at Real Madrid. And for the England national team, if you're thinking about the Euros. I mean, he's going to be such an important player. Do you think he'll go straight in? I mean, you've seen Camavinga turn up and then go to fullback. Chumani hasn't sort of naturally started, you know, hasn't come into the starting 11 all the time. And that's obviously because 
Cruz, Modric, and until recently Casemiro were still good and are still good. But do you see Bellingham as where's he fit in those? He's like a different player to those two, I guess. Yeah, I think he might be the one that that forces Modric um, out of the the starting eleven. Um, Modric was yeah great game for Croatia last night, but there has been talk about him maybe um, you know, joining one of the Saudi clubs. I must admit, I wouldn't know the difference between one from any of the others. They just call them the Saudi clubs. Um, so he, he might go um, there. And I also think from from Tony Crowe's point of view, I'm not sure his influence on the the, the big games has been. What it was, so I yeah I, I think that um that that Bellingham gets in almost immediately, and Camavinga has also um, let it be known that he doesn't see himself as a, a left back. So I I do think it will be a different Real Madrid probably um, that, that turns up sort of when we get to the business end of next season's Champions League. So England play Malta tomorrow night and North Macedonia on Monday night. Uh, Paul, I look to you for Maltese and North Macedonian expertise is that is that fair for me to do yeah I mean I guess I've, I've sort of set myself up for that haven't I um no I mean mm. I, I know a bit about about Malta I think we kind of know what kind of game this is going to be I don't think you need a, a degree in Maltese football to sort of work out the kind of fix to the series see how disappointed my parents would be if I said I'm going to do a degree in Maltese that's my choice dad you know. With a Maltese language module in there, because they do have an amazing oh, language, absolutely incredible language. When you see it, in what sense? Uh, in the, it has loads of X's and K's in it, and I can't even figure out how you can start saying things. It's um absolutely amazing language. Um, but yeah, basically, I, I would say that Malta is one of those ones that in the old days we look, used to look, maybe look at Malta as a, one of the real you know thrashing fixtures. And over time, like a lot of nations, a bit like. To a lesser, they're a lesser extent, but Luxembourg have obviously improved a lot. The Faroe Islands have improved a lot. Malta at the moment are one of these teams that you wouldn't thrash, but you would very, uh, you'd find it very hard to make a case for Malta really troubling England in any significant way. So you look at Malta lost like, you know, 2 0 to Italy, 2 1 to Macedonia in the Euro qualifiers, uh, recently lost 1 0 to Ireland, as I'm sure Barry will, will tell you. So you know they're not they're not a bad side. They're they're organised. Um, they've got an Italian manager, not a particularly well known or enormously successful manager, Michele Marcolini. Um, he took over from uh, a more well known Italian manager who went out under a, a cloud after a, a, a scandal, uh, Davis Manger. Um, and they've sort of created a a very solid functional team with a couple of interesting players. One of whom is actually Notts County's Jody Jones, who's who's on the wing, who. Um, it's actually a really talented, decent player. But again, when you look at an England side coming over, it it, it has sort of two or three nil feel to it, but it doesn't have six or seven nil. It's not, it's not a San Marino fixture. And I see sometimes people paint Malta still in that same light. And I think it's just a hangover from where Malta were, you know, 10 years ago. It takes people a bit of time to adapt to the fact that nations like the Faroe Islands, for example, are not the Faroe Islands with the guy with the bobble hat playing in goal you know things have evolved over over time but you know they are still 172nd in the world so yeah I would imagine even a very hungover Grealish will probably still uh would be able to play against them if they force him to do it <laughs> um Mark you have uh, intel on Jody Jones <laughs> yeah yeah well I, I went to school with his dad um yeah uh, Jay um so I mean I've always um sort of just thought because he sort of came through sort of Dagnum um which isn't too far from where I, I live so it was, and he was seen as a, a big star there, and at Coventry as, as well. I think 
you know, things would have gone better for him, but three ACL um, injuries is, you know, just absolutely just so cruel on, on anyone, really. But to, to bounce back, to have the strength of character to be able to bounce back from that, score the really important playoff goal, um, you know, for, for Notts County in that semi-final, then um, scored a, a penalty in the, the shootout win over Chesterfield. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's going to be great uh, occasion for him. So, yeah, it was it's me... Um, Jody Jones is his dad, Ledley King, and Dizzy Rascal um, from the, the, the sort of represent Blessed John Roach School. R.I.P. No longer around. Oh, really? Um, that's great. And we're, Barry Barry did is very delighted that you made the Wikipedia entry for notable alumni of your school. Yeah, well, it's uh, the former Irish Prime Minister Brian Cowan, uh, Willie Mullins, the racehorse trainer, uh, one of the best in the world. Uh, quite a few rugby players, a few hurlers, and me. So it's not bad at all. As I was devastated to not not be on the Hills Road Sixth Form College alumni list, which does include Tim Key, of course, who's brilliant um, and uh, listens to the pod. So hello, Tim, and uh, uh, one member of G Four. Uh, I thought, come on, one member of G Four. Were they on like X Factor Ten or something? Like. <laughs> If one quarter of G4 is there, surely that, you know, you can't con- control these things. Um, and uh, Paul, any, I mean, we did discuss this before the pod, yeah. notable alumni. Yes, I'm, I'm not, as I say, I'm not even the most notable alumni in my family. So I'd say my brother is probably the, uh, the obvious there. one. I, I am very much the Phil Neville and I have to, I've had to live with that. <laughs> um, uh, Barry, Rory Smith made quite an interesting point on Five Live about... You know this this idea that that could Gareth Southgate copy what Pepper's done with John Stones? Um, I mean, Malta away is not necessarily the game. That, I mean, it's a good game to try it, right? Because it is just Malta away. I have seen people wonder should uh, Gareth Southgate do that? Try John Stones in midfield, and why not? He he has excelled in the role for Manchester City. I just wonder: is there any particular need for Gareth Southgate to? play John Stones in midfield I, I don't know or in that sort of hybrid role uh, but yeah these are probably the games to try it in if if, if it's something he wants to do I, I would think there's one person that doesn't want him to sort of do that hybrid role and that'd be Harry Maguire who would suddenly find himself in the Ruben Diaz role all alone um, potentially with two or three sort of um, not necessarily in the Malta game, but as as England sort of progress, hopefully through um, the Euros against some rather talented forwards, I, I you know I think you you've got to be of a certain mind, I think, to be able to create the kind of tactics that Pep Guardiola does, and I'm not sure that Gareth Southgate um, could just copy that. I don't think you can just say you know just do what you do for Manchester City to John Stones because there are ten other players that. Um, all play roles with within that that allow Stones to to step forward. You know, it, it requires um, you know Nathan Ake to to do his thing and Rodri to do his. So and you know Bernardo Silva and all the rest of them. So I I don't think it's it's that simple. And you rarely see anybody try anything clever um, internationally these days. And in terms of midfielders, we just spoke about Bellingham and you have got Declan Rice uh, as well. I, I I don't think there is a huge need to. Um, Try to get too creative um, with all. I, I I love when I saw John Stones the FA Cup final was at Wembley. It was it was an absolutely like brilliant performance, and you know I love watching him for Manchester City. I I just think England and Manchester City are two um, quite different beasts. Okay, Gareth, don't bother. Uh, <laughs> we, we don't want change. Uh, just quarter final of the Euros, please. 
out. Unlucky, but defeat in the quarterfinals. And that'll do. All right, that'll do for part one. Uh, part two, we'll look at the other home nations. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Um, hopefully we can uh, plug the Guardian Football Weekly book slightly better than we did yesterday. <laughs> uh, well, I think we probably put everybody off. Features contributions from all your favourite Football Weekly regulars, including Mark Langdon's World of Meat and Paul Watson's World of Football. Uh, so you know your specialities and we we missed a trick not having Barry Barry's big explainer on the Nation's League but anyway <laughs> pre-order of the Guardian Bookshop that would have certainly been the pages <laughs> it would have done pre-order on the Guardian Bookshop you'll get 20% off it's out on the 28th of September link is in the description of the podcast um, and uh, I believe it's my pinned tweet as well uh, Barca Jim says uh, will you have time to patronise Scotland in this pod it's always Max's time to shine he's a master of the craft uh, they play Norway on Saturday Georgia on Tuesday night um, they top of their group after beating Spain Barry which I had completely forgotten uh, yeah I hadn't forgotten that because I, I remember watching that game um, I was on my holidays in Alicante and I watched it in a bar largely full of blue rinse expats and and me and everyone was very surprised that Scotland won the game, but they won it and they deserve to win. Uh, top of the group, six points, and so they travelled to Norway on Saturday. Big question is, can they contain Erling Haaland? Um, Norway obviously have Martin Odegaard as well, Alexander Sorlos, who's who's had a good season on loan at Real Sociedad, and. It's very much a must-win game for Norway if they're to, you know, stay in the race for qualification from this group. But it's been a brilliant start by by Scotland. They think they're without Shea Adams for this game. He's injured, so Lyndon Dykes will probably start up front. Unlikely to call, prompt as much terror in the Norwegian defensive ranks as his opposite number will in the Scottish defensive ranks. And then they've got Georgia on Tuesday. I'm not going to claim to know a great deal about them, but I do know they've only lost one of their last 14, and they have that uh, fella from Napoli playing for them who's, who's you know, quite good. Yeah. Do you want to tell us who that is? <laughs> uh, why don't you tell us, Max? <laughs> no, no. I no. see. asked you. Kvartsvili? Kvartsvili. I reckon you got a better chance of write you got a better chance of writing it in Georgian script probably than saying it outside. Kinchka Karsko Villa. Kavatselia, is it? Kavatselia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh who is a one who's a wonderful player. Oh, there are letters there that are unaccounted for, I swear. When you see it written and it it just comes out really smooth like Kavatselia. I, I swear there's no way that's what's written there, but you you should come to my pub and take up a chair and just if anyone needs help pronouncing his name. When's the Georgia game Tuesday? I guess we could do that. I mean, if you have any intel, uh, Paul, now's a great a great time. Norway, obviously, Norway are too well known for you. I'm afraid they are. They're a bit above my pay grade. And in fact, when Georgia recently played Mongolia in a friendly, I was looking at Georgia as a bit mainstream. Really, I was the Mongolia expert, but um. I would say, you know, Georgia are, for me, that's that's the real test of, of Scotland and how far they've progressed. And I think, was it 2007 and 2015, I think Georgia were the ones who, who stood in the way of Scotland and, and sort of scuppered their chances. And if anything, this Georgia side has just improved and improved. I don't I don't think it's fair to sort of say they're a, they're a one-man team. They obviously have that threat of Kavarsalia up front. 
but they are actually a, a pretty well-rounded unit. And I think, um, I think to be honest, they are probably the bigger threat to Scotland in certain regards because Scotland are going to be expected to to sort of go and, and take the game to them. And that's going to suit Georgia very well, I think. Um, so I, I would I would say personally that, um, yeah, it's the biggest test of, of Scotland's progress and their credentials is can they, can they manage this Georgia side that have the potential to just basically be a sort of, uh, to sit back, wait, and then hit. And, and um, with Kavat Salia there, I would I would really be worried about how Scotland are going to manage that. And I think they'll put a lot of attention into Norway because it's obvious and then Georgia might be the one that, that unseat them. I just wonder if Barca Jim and all the other Scotland fans have been sort of watching Erling Haaland's sort of drinking progress uh, over the last few days. He, he didn't look that many pints behind um, Jack Grealish um, with some of the celebrations. I don't know if I'm doing him a disservice, but obviously, um, you know, Haaland being fully fit and fully focused and um, maybe not being um, in, in such a state is going to be, I think, key really for, um, for for both nations. And I was just having a look, Haaland actually doesn't play that many games for Norway. Um, he's only played, he's only played 23 times. He's got 21 goals in, in, in that period, but like Odegaard's got, got double the caps and is only sort of slightly older. So, um, you know, Haaland maybe. You know, Norway need to get the Man City Haaland sort of up and running as best they can. Obviously, not as easy when the service isn't as as good as what it is at City. But he he's obviously the um, transformative player for them, and whether he's fully up for it, well, we we won't know until he lines up. Does Haaland actually drink? I, he he strikes me <laughs> no. as the kind of guy who wouldn't touch a drop. Like his idea no, of a celebration would be having. A few cubes <laughs> less than usual in his ice bath. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe he was just he he looked he looked, he was full of beans. Maybe 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 he wasn't on the booze, but he um he was um yeah he he was definitely enjoying the celebration. I mean, twenty two, like you you forget a hangover. Just you've got to be you've got to really blitz it to not be able to have a kick about after yeah when you're twenty two years old. It is different. I remember playing one Sunday league game and the centre back absolutely reeked of booze. And he went off the pitch and just threw up. So really sort of, you just didn't want to be, you know. And I, you sort of don't want to be marked by that player anymore. And 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 I was just like, oh, you know, heavy night. And he said, oh, no, it's just this collar is really tight. Which I thought was a great, you don't have to lie to me, mate. It's all right. Anyway, Wales are in Group D. Uh, they're level on points with Croatia at the top. Turkey on... Uh, a point behind on three. Armenia and Latvia make up the rest of the group. Uh, they play Armenia... On Friday night, Turkey on Monday. Um, they've started this group pretty well, Baz, haven't they? Um, of course, Turkey Turkey could be the dark horses, of course, uh, of of this group. Um, uh, uh, <laughs> and then the sort of post, the post bail. I was going to say Ramsey era, but he's the captain, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> no, Ramsey's still there, yeah. Um, Ramsey did the press conference yesterday, I think, and... There's a lot of speculation about his future because his contract is about to expire at Nice, which I'd kind of forgotten he was there, if I'm honest. And there's talk linking him with a return to Cardiff City, but he was very non-committal about what the future holds for him. But Wales, obviously, there was delirium when they qualified for the World Cup. Then they had a very disappointing World Cup uh, in Qatar. Uh, just proved a few matches too far for some of their 
more senior players and um but they've got off got off to a brilliant start to this qual- set of qualifiers with a draw away to Croatia, which I don't think anyone was expecting them to get. Uh they beat Latvia and they, you know, looking at their squad, there's there's good players there, despite uh Gareth Bale having gone and who who else is Joe Allen. Joe Allen, yeah, he retired. No, Gunter. Oh, uh, Chris Gunter, Gunter retired, retired that's it. So Nico Williams, Ramsey, Brennan Johnson, Ben Davis are all there. Uh, David Brooks is back in the squad, which is nice to see for the first time in, in two years uh, since he got the all clear from his Hodgkin's lymphoma. And Tom Lockyer is unavailable after his collapse during the championship playoff final. So he, you would imagine, would be a bit of a loss. But um, yeah, I think Wales... That draw against Croatia has really put a spring in their step because I think people were a bit concerned after their poor showing in Qatar. Armenia, Paul. Yes. <laughs> now, Armenia are an interesting case, I think, because um, it's not that long ago they lost 9-0 to Norway. This was like March 22, and they were at a real low ebb. Uh, they've got a new manager, uh, relatively new, took over in January, uh, Alexander Petrikov. And he's an interesting character. He's um, Ukrainian and... Didn't flee Kiev uh, when the Russians, uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine started. In fact, tried to uh, fight, tried to join the, the Ukrainian resistance, but wasn't allowed because of his age. Um, so he's a pretty tough character. Um, and then signed up to take over Armenia in January. Uh, and since then, um, there's sort of a sign of progress. They only lost 2-1 to Turkey. And they've got this new striker who is pretty exciting, sort of a, a wide striker called Grant Leon Ranos. Um, and he is 19 years old and he made his debut against Cyprus. Uh, I came on as he scored, I think he started actually, he scored two goals within eight minutes. So um, Armenia being a team that are not known for their goal scoring capabilities has suddenly got this kind of wonder kid who has just signed for Borussia Mönchengladbach. Um, so it'd be interesting to see how how he gets on. But the, the biggest problem with Armenia is they are... Um, they have they play a sort of uh, I guess a three four three formation, but uh, they've got seven centre backs in their squad, so they are enormously heavy in certain areas and very sparse in others. So I wouldn't expect Wales to be scared by them, but I, I will be interested to see how Ranos gets on. I'll be interested to see if maybe this is a slightly more resilient Armenia than than we've had in the past. Ben Fisher joins us on Tuesday live and direct from Turkey. Uh, group H, Northern Ireland's group, they are second bottom. Uh, one one lost one, eleven points with Finland and Kazakhstan and Denmark. So I mean, they're arguably their joint second as well. Uh, Slovenia top of the group, San Marino bottom. They play Denmark on Friday, Kazakhstan on Monday. Richard says public service announcement: Denmark are wearing their beautiful 1986 Hummel kits against Northern Ireland tomorrow. Uh, Northern Ireland, despite being back with Adidas and it being a lovely tribute to the late great Billy Bingham, are not matching them. Also, uh, there are four unemployed players who've been released from their clubs in the Northern Ireland squad and one who's never played a senior game of men's football. But apart from that, we're in great shape. Northern Ireland, their squad, it's its a real mixed bag. So the like, Premier League players who don't play in the Premier League, either because they're not getting picked or because they've been shipped out on loan. Like Connor Bradley from... Liverpool fullback had a very successful season on loan at Bolton, uh, whose striker Dion Charles is also in the squad. He had a good season with Bolton in, in League One. Uh, Sunderland right back Trey Hume is in the squad. He was brilliant this season for for Sunderland. Uh, Dale Taylor, 
spent a season on loan at Burton Albion from, from Nottingham Forest. Then there's George Saville, who played regularly for Millwall, uh, who had a great season. And Man City's, uh, the youngster from Man City, Shea Charles, who's Northern Ireland's big, big hope for the future. He obviously hasn't really got a look in at City this season, but has spent time training with the senior squad and has excelled in previous performances for Northern Ireland. Uh, I'm not sure how many he's made. Isaac Price, another one, uh, he was at Everton, didn't get a look in and has now moved to Standard Liège in the last few weeks. And so you've you've got a mixture of players from, not you know, non-playing Premier League players, Championship, League One. I think there's a couple in Scotland and a handful from the, the league in Northern Ireland. So very much a, 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 a hodgepodge of talent. Yeah, I, I mean, I just think from Denmark's point of view, they were one of the one of the biggest disappointments, I think, of the World Cup. Um, the way they just never really performed at all in in their three matches, and there was some suggestion that players and the fans had that great connection for, from the Euros. There had been just, I, I suppose, because of um, the build up to Qatar, and you know, the players, um, you know looking to take a stance, but then it never really developed beyond that. And there was a lot of criticism, I think, um, in certain sections about kind of the responsibility that they had, um, you know, with regards to human rights and maybe didn't stand up enough um, to that. Um, and that they just didn't perform at the World Cup. I don't, I mean, you, you can sometimes very easy afterwards to just put those connections together. It might have just been three bad football matches from them. But um, Lindstrom, um, player who plays in um, the Bundesliga, I think will eventually end up playing um, in the Premier League. He's been linked with quite a few um, of sort of the um, big guns already. So he, he might be one to watch out for. And Denmark have already been beaten in this group by Kazakhstan, which I suspect is a result few saw coming. Republic of Ireland played Greece on Friday, Gibraltar on Monday. Um, uh, before we go to Paul for uh, Gibraltar, Updates, Barry. You revealed on yesterday's pod you played the role of expert. The way producer Joel has written that is very much a theatrical performance uh, on uh, on a Greek football podcast. Did you hang about on the podcast enough to to find out what Greece would offer uh, uh, your boys? I think we arrived at the conclusion that both teams are fairly evenly matched. They're similar places in the rankings. This is a must-win game for both. It's a horrible group. France, the Netherlands are obviously expected to go through, but we've already established that the Netherlands are rubbish or probably will finish beneath Gibraltar, so there could be a place up for grabs. Greece have the safety net of a Nations League playoff place to fall back on if they uh, things don't go well for them in this group, and that's not a, a safety net Ireland have to, to enjoy or look forward to. So I, I think this is a, a huge game. Um, do you know who the manager of Greece is, Max? Is it Stelios Janikopoulos? Nope. Is it? It is Gus Poyer. It's Gus Poyer. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, Ireland, in their last two campaigns, they've lost their opening two matches. So, uh, missed out on the World Cup. In that campaign, they lost to Serbia and then Luxembourg in their opening two games. In the Nations League, they lost to Armenia and, and the a sort of make-do-and-mend-Ukraine team, which was hastily cobbled together for obvious reasons. And they've already lost their opener against France in this group. 
uh, at the Aviva, but played incredibly well in that game. And it looked like Stephen Kenny, after a long, long time, his, his message is finally getting across. I was hugely impressed with Ireland's performance again in that game. They lost 1-0, but were excellent. So, But this is a really is a must-win game, away at Greece, and it kind of has a draw written all over it. And then Gibraltar, Paul. So, yeah, Gibraltar, um, they are playing all their games away from home at the moment, which is uh, getting rid of that huge, famously <laughs> uh, intense Gibraltarian home atmosphere. Um, why, why are they doing that? Because they're building a new, uh, well, they're redoing their stadium. And it's caused quite a lot of controversy, partly because uh, it's going to be quite a lot bigger, I think, this new stadium than people believe it needs to be. Like, it doesn't seem like... I thought you were going to say it's going to be bigger than Gibraltar. <laughs> well, close. I think it's going to be able to hold a number that people are saying is is kind of crazy for for Gibraltar. Um, but it's caused actually a lot of controversy as well because, uh, quite shamefully, the Gibraltar FA pulled out the Gibraltar women's team from the Nations League, from the Women's Nations League. And uh, one of the reasons cited seemed to be finances, but obviously, huge sums of money are going into the men's team and are going into this stadium. And one of the arguments they said was that the, the women's team weren't ready to compete. But obviously, the Nations League is set up in such a way that you play against teams of a similar level. And also, it's very hard to get to that level unless you compete. So, yeah, not things are not particularly um, not good noises in Gibraltar at the moment. Uh, so if they upset France, that would be uh, that would certainly take the pressure off a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't think it will happen. Not to, to ruin my uh, my um, my minnow credentials, but I don't think it's going to. Uh, it would be great. Um, uh, before we end part two, just to send our best wishes to the friends and, and family of John Hollins, former Chelsea player and manager who's passed away at the age of 76. He made almost 600 appearances as a player, scoring 64 times in two spells at Stamford Bridge between 1963 and 1984. Lifted the FA Cup, the Cup Winners Cup, the League Cup uh, during his first stint at the club, uh, leaving in 1975. Returning eight years later to help them earn promotion from the second tier, was appointed uh, manager in 85 and stayed there for three years as well so uh, yeah best wishes to uh, the people who know John Hollins and Chelsea fans who of course uh, he will have left a lasting impact on and that'll do for part two we'll be back in a second Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly before we uh, analyse the uh, Premier League fixtures that are just out Paul some other games we mentioned Mongolia Vanuatu in the WhatsApp group that is a that is a big one that's a big one that is the big one. It's, it's, it's they, they, they don't come much bigger. The old rivalry, Mongolia and Vanuatu. So they're playing in the... Do they travel well, Vanuatu? And... <laughs> well, actually, they're, they're, not, they're not a bad side, Vanuatu, but it's an interesting little cup. So it's the Intercontinental Cup being played at the moment in India, and it's India, Lebanon, Mongolia and Vanuatu. Uh, and there are some slightly weird... Um, well, not weird, but some slightly interesting mixtures of teams playing at the moment. One of the funniest ones that I just saw was... Uh, uh, about a tough place to go and get a result is is, is always a good cliche, is that um, there's a four-team tournament going on in Mauritius at the moment with uh, Kenya, Pakistan, Mauritius and Djibouti. And uh, Kenya defaulted their game against Djibouti because their national airline changed the flight schedules. They couldn't get them in time. <laughs> I think that's... <laughs> Surely you can move kickoff, surely, can't you? You just... You'd have thought someone somewhere could have worked that away to get them there. But yeah, they just uh, they just had to say, well... Tough one that, but we've lost three <laughs> 0 Mauritius is a and that's not a bad place for a sort of I don't know if it's mid season or end of season tournament, but you know, I wouldn't mind following that one. Um and you are going to Micronesia soon for their first ever 
futsal tournament. Yes. So uh, I've been helping organise this. The uh, Federated States of Micronesia, one of only uh, six nations on earth that are not part of a FIFA confederation. Um, two of those are Monaco and Vatican City, and they're not likely to go anywhere soon. Um, so the Federated States of Micronesia doesn't have a lot of opportunity for competition. So we've set up a, a futsal tournament between the four islands that make up Micronesia, and they are separated by it's thousands of miles. Two, two of them are separated by thousands of miles. So it's a really unlikely event to have, to have set up. And it's um, it's actually been made possible by selling these football shirts uh, that are made by a company called Stings in this country. And they're beautiful football shirts for each of the islands that represent their kind of culture. Um, and yeah, I've been hawking those. <laughs> I've sold about I've sold about 650. Yeah, you have. I've personally packaged and sold 650. You sent me yeah. one. So you sent sent me what I did pay for. Oh it. yeah, you insisted on paying for it. To be fair to you, um, I, I offered you a freebie and you refused, which is very noble of you. What shirt have I got? I've got this red, a red shirt with sort of black uh, lines and a and a bird, a beautiful yeah. Bird. So you, you have a Koshrai shirt. Now that is um, it's an island of six thousand people, and they entered this competition the first time they've ever entered any football or futsal event, and they entered in in the start of the year in January. Said that competition in June. They said, yeah, yeah, we want to enter. We've got one problem. We don't have a football. So that, that's <laughs> right. That's the shirt you've got. We had to send them a football. And because it, it's one of the most remote islands in the world, it took us three months to get them a football uh, to get one sent over there. But they are still entering this competition as probably the, the biggest underdogs in history, except they have a kid called Kenny Aldana, who is an American uh, college collegiate player. And he started this whole thing. He's from, he's of Koshrine heritage, never been there, but he, he, his dad's from there. And he... Uh, basically started this whole thing by, by contacting me and saying, how can I play for Federated States of Micronesia? How can I play for Koshrai? And I said, well, look, there just isn't a team. And so he personally has been on Facebook finding Koshraians in this tiny island Brilliant. saying, look, we're going to play. I'm coming out on this date and we're going to play football. And they're just sort of saying, yeah, all right, <laughs> fine, let's give it a go. So so, so the team is sort of like, I mean, what, what, he arrives and what says, look, wh where do you play? What position are you? That kind of thing. Is he is he running the 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 side? Well, there is a coach as well. There's a guy called right, Chris, okay. Chris Diao who is um he's a Solomon Islander and he's on Koshrai, so he's trying to like champion support for this thing. It's an amazing. It's a really unique so story. Great. Yeah, it's a really unique story. Um, and um, yeah, it's it, it. You can follow all of this. Um, I actually mentioned it quite a lot. I'm going to do a shameless plug for my podcast. I do a podcast with uh, Lee Wingate, which is about weird and wonderful odd football stories everything from uh Ajaccio leaving their player behind after the team coach left last week in France all the way to Kazakhstani away days the longest away days in the world uh again stuff like Micronesian football uh friendly between Guiana and Martinique being called off for a punch-up all these kind of things all these weird and wonderful little stories um it's called The Sweeper and it's at the uh, at Sweeper Pod on Twitter uh and yeah we'll be doing I'll be covering everything from Micronesia I'll be out there uh, if the flights will take me, I'll be out there and um, when is it? back. It's uh, it starts on July the eighth, finishes on July the fifteenth. That's great. And to get there is a mission. Yeah, it's it's a couple of days. It's about thirty eight hours of flying uh, to get there, and that's if you're lucky. I remember. Don't once, take a toddler. Would be my recent experience. I can imagine. God, I mean, I remember the the one one time I flew out to Micronesia, and uh, I thought it'd take a bit longer than it should do. We landed and uh, I was ready to get off and we were on the wrong island. And I said, quite understandably, said, well, why are we here? And the, the, they were very kind. They said, oh, we overflew. I was like, what do you mean we overflew? And apparently it's so normal that it can be so rainy. And because they're the shortest runways in the world, it can be so rainy, too dangerous land. They just land on the next available island. 
<laughs> and great. for them, it wasn't a big deal. They were like, ah, oh, we'll get back there soon. But I was like, what? I'd <laughs> be very English. <laughs> what do you mean you overflew? <laughs> I mean, to be fair, like if you overfly an island, I think it's great that you've landed on another island. Like, I would say this is a really, this, I would take the positives. Can people still buy these shirts? They're, they're really beautiful. They can. Yeah, they absolutely can. Uh, I have a limited number left. They are in my living room. So my wife will be delighted uh, if people do. But if you find me on Twitter, I'm at Paul underscore C underscore Watson. And I'll, um, I will package it up and my very friendly postman will, will come and collect it with a look of disdain on his face again. <laughs> um, two more prosaic matters. The Premier League fixtures uh, have been announced 22 minutes ago. Uh, I don't know if any of you have been slightly looking at them uh, since... I have. Yeah, so, uh, yeah me too. So, um, me too. I mean, I was listening to you, Paul, but, you know... That's rude. Like these, rude. Uh, <laughs> these bastards. I can <laughs> yeah, you can. Uh, so, the Premier League kicks off on Friday, the 11th of August. Uh, the champions Manchester City go to Vincent Company's Burnley. Uh, it's a good start. Early kickoff on Saturday is Arsenal, Nottingham Forest. And then you have Bournemouth, West Ham, Brighton, Luton, Everton, Fulham, Sheffield United, Crystal Palace and Newcastle, Aston Villa, the 5.30 game. And the two games on the Sunday, Brentford Spurs and Chelsea Liverpool with Manchester United Wolves are at 8 o'clock on the Monday night. That's quite a, Barry, that's quite a fun opening round of fixtures, isn't it? It is, yeah. Definitely. I, I mean, fans of Chelsea or Liverpool could be plunged into crisis after one game, It's which makes things very exciting. It's quite a super Sunday to start with, Brentford Spurs and Chelsea-Liverpool. Um, yeah, and, and Luton's first game back, as you say, is away at Brighton, which is a tough assignment, but one suspects most of Luton's assignments next season will be tough. Um, uh, Mark, I don't know how far you've looked down. Uh, have got anything to to pick out for us? Well, just in terms of Luton, uh, they don't actually play a team that's in the Champions League, I noticed, until November the 11th. So um, they kind of, it, it's not, I suppose, the worst start. You know, they haven't, sometimes you get like a newly promoted team and they've got, you know, four of the big six straight up. And, and sometimes, you know, oh, that, that's the best time to play them. But you, you, you want to try to, you know, I think build into the season and feel like you belong in it, and that can be difficult if if you're right up against it. So there is, I suppose, an opportunity there um, for Luton not to be overawed, um, but by some of the early um, opponents. Uh, Max, I was looking. Um, I know you're a big fan of Ange uh, Postecoglou, so uh, and anybody that follows, um, you know, I've just heard it, every Celtic fan just shoot says, "Oh no, you, you'll have a bad start." Um, you know, you've got to expect a bad start. So it's Manchester United. Um, second up um, for, for for Ange. So, um, but but realistically, uh, Brentford, Man United, Bournemouth, Burnley, Sheffield United, um, you know, isn't the worst start for for Ange. And then then we and you know for, from there just onwards and upwards. The fixtures will happen. We'll talk about them. That's how this all works. Um, uh, the BBC and ITV have agreed a deal with FIFA to broadcast the Women's World Cup in the UK. I think we all thought it would happen. Uh, but it's good that it finally has uh, just five weeks before the tournament begins on the 20th of July. Our friend Jenny Infantino had threatened a European TV blackout because today I feel like I care about women's rights. Um, uh, England uh, first play in Brisbane on the 22nd of July against Haiti. Uh, all 64 matches for the tournament uh, broadcast in the UK, either on BBC or on ITV. The final will be on both on the 20th of August. Um, right, let's uh, uh, do some 
And finally, stuff on the Southampton players after Ricky Lambert's great awakening. Uh, Jim says, having just seen this on Slack at work, I don't know what Slack is. It's like some sort of... It's a chat. It's a sort of instant messaging oh, chat right. channel for corporate businesses and tech people. Uh, he says, uh, new FY. Is that financial year? New financial year? New you? Question mark. God. Uh, the, the, the agony of that. Anyway, learn how to bring your A game with Francis Benali. Former professional footballer, drawing on a 16-year career as a professional footballer, combined with the epic ultra-endurance challenges he's taken on since retiring. Uh, He knows the importance of a well-functioning team. In this talk, Franny will arm you with the appropriate tools to recognise the strengths you bring to your team and how you can build upon them to create a winning formula. Now, I'm normally sceptical of these things, Barry, and quite sceptical of some Southampton former players, but Franny Benali is one of the good good guys, isn't he? Oh, very much so, and I I would... I think I could, there are many times in life I could do with a pep talk from Franny Benali. Yeah, isn't it Franny Benali? There's, there's some you find old Panini stickers of him in very strange places. Yeah, it's very much a Southampton thing that the fans um, put the uh, you know, if they go on holiday to probably some of the you know places that, that Paul was talking about earlier. You might well find a, a Franny Benali um, Panini sticker somewhere. Barry says, a pedantic point on the discussion joke about which way Jonathan Wilson would be in football journalism on the turn of professionalism in the 1880s. He mentioned the pigeons at Manchester United. Surely he means Newton Heath. Yes, very good. If you are going to pick someone up on that, you should pick Jonathan Wilson up on it. Uh, Kay says, were the new dog food adverts in Sunday's pod advertising that they contain raw meat aimed specifically at Mark Langdon? Uh, I would even say, Mark, I, you, I, I, you've got to draw the line somewhere, haven't you, Max? There, uh, we might well have reached. I'm glad I'm bringing business to to the pod. Yeah, no, that is great. Um, uh, Charlie says, "Have you considered the implications of taking a break on listeners who are maybe having a summer vasectomy?" It's a very good point. And so, look, we'll keep trotting these out. Uh, we'll be back uh, on uh, Monday uh, after uh, look back at the weekend's England games, and then England play on Monday night. We're back on Tuesday, and then a few life and times, uh, including. Uh, uh, Troy Townsend, Nicky Bandini. Looking forward to both of those as well. But that'll do for today. Thank you, Paul. Thank you very much. It's my birthday as well, oh. by the way. So thank Happy, you. Happy birthday. birthday. Yeah, well, that's how I would love. I've celebrated it in, in the way that I, I like to celebrate it, by being on football. What age are you turning uh, today, I'm 39, Paul? so I'm still a journeyman, I reckon. I, I'm yeah. not. Or player manager. I'm, I'm entering player manager territory. What I would do to be 39. Um, um, anyway <laughs> have a great day uh, uh, thanks Mark thanks Max uh, cheers Barry thank you Football Weekly is produced by Joel Grove our executive producer is Christian Beckett this is The Guardian 